City have another chance. What's going on, Orlando City fans? Welcome back to the Lions Blog Podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Rushnell, and today we will be doing our first off-season podcast, our first 2020 off-season podcast, and that's going to be part one of the two-part squad building series that I have been touting the last couple of weeks. Before we get started, though, I'd like to thank our sponsors, and first up is Lose Bonsai, run by OC Twitter's very own Jonathan Ridner. Lose Bonsai offers the finest quality bonsai trees and products at the lowest possible prices. Speaking of prices, Lose Bonsai is currently offering 15% off to all Orlando City supporters. All you have to do is enter the code GOCITY in all caps at checkout, and 15% will be taken off of your order. Again, the website is LoseBonsai, L-O-U-S Bonsai dot biz. Our second amazing sponsor is, of course, Cappy Subs. You can order over the phone at 407-647-9099 or online at cappyssubsfl.com. All one word, they are located at 501 North Orlando Avenue in Maitland, Florida, not Winter Park. Make sure to leave a five-star review on this wonderful episode that we've got lined up for you today. And Daniel, how are you doing today? Not very well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Chase, how about yourself? Doing great. And Adam? Doing okay. I played pretty poorly at disc golf this morning. Then I watched some football and lost at fantasy football. Um... But then I get to talk about Orlando City with you guys, so it's all good. You had a pretty good day today. Spurs beat Arsenal. Yeah, I wasn't going to rub it in your face because I know, I like. (laughs) There's just no comparison between the squads anymore. You know, like Spurs are on the top of the league, and then Arsenal are, uh, well, not. (laughs) Might as well be in the relegation fight right now. Um, there, there's a whole squad building case study to be done on Arsenal. But um well Gavin can do that one. Yeah, I can do that one. We're going to be talking about Orlando City and so uh let's explain really quickly how this is going to be organized. Uh I personally have um five pillars of building a good squad. And so we're going to talk about those pillars and then we're going to d- discuss like everything that goes on with those five things. And I will lay them out individually for you. And then after that, we're going to talk about how we got to where we are today. And we're going to kind of go back to our previous discussion of, okay, was this the right move? Was this the wrong move? Something like that. Um, For some of the bigger moves, we we don't have to look at when, um, I don't know, Pierre De Silva left. Like we, we barely got to see him play. It was probably the right move that he went on and furthered his career in USL. Um, so uh, that will be it. Let's get started then. Uh, my first of my five pillars, and I'm just going to list them out and then we'll have the discussion. So that's very organized for you guys, is having a long-term vision and a short-term vision. So building the team to win now and in the future. And this is something that can be very difficult for teams to do. Some teams only buy short-term players, and then they're long in the long term, they get screwed over, uh, and then vice versa. Uh, two is being financially smart. And by that, I don't mean necessarily cheap, but being smart with your money, giving the right amount of money to the right player, uh, making the right decisions at the right time. So when to sell players, when to sign players, when to give contract extensions, all stuff like that. Um, ability ability to learn from past mistakes, so reviewing what went right and what went wrong, and the fifth one added on Chase was this was Chase's idea. Um, utilizing the MLS draft, this is something that I didn't think of 
we have done a very good job of utilizing the MLS draft in the past couple of years. You think of Laren, you think of DK, you think of Desart, um, you think of Mueller, um, Kamal Miller, who's been a squad player. We have done a very, very, very good job with the MLS draft. So, uh, Chase, I'm actually going to go to you first. Going back to the first pillar, having a long-term vision and a short-term vision. This is something that is very difficult. So I would like to ask you how you would try to balance winning now, but also winning in the future. Um, well, obviously, like you said, it's a lot easier said than done. But actually, I think this is something that we are doing pretty all right with at the moment. Um, it's you want to have players who are kind of under 23, but are still able to contribute and potentially look for sales. But then like we have a team of players with experience at the highest level, you know, playing in like European competition, like, like Nani and, and Pereira. And those are typically going to be the people that uh, a squad will kind of rely on. Um, but it is really equally as important to set yourself up for the future because uh kind of going by a win now philosophy which which some teams will will find themselves doing which which to an extent i almost kind of felt like we were this year because a lot of our biggest core is going to be aging out and while we have a lot of decent young players for the future there aren't clear replacements for Pereira and nani um and in a larger scale if a team is is running with players who are you know 28 and above or uh, something of uh, you know of that age uh if it doesn't pan out in the you know, in the first couple of years, particularly in the MLS, because, you know, say a player, when you sign them, you're not able to go above the salary cap. If someone rises to a DP, you kind of have to blow up your squad. And um, that's not necessarily a case with young players, particularly with a lot of the new rules coming in. But um, kind of what that means to me is maybe having some experience, at least in all, all thirds of the field. Like, I think that that's kind of important. Like we have Antonio Carlos, who has played all over Brazil. We have Pedro Glace, who's played at the World Cup, um, and, you know, uh, Robin Janssen. And then you kind of look to our fullbacks. And Juan isn't necessarily the youngest player uh, on the field, but, you know, he's 25, and he is going to be here for six years, on six or so years, unless we sell him. And then you have, like, Jean Moutinho, who, you know, he might be sold, but he is a young player who is getting experience and is only getting better by the experience in the team. And, and that's kind of what you want. You want the experienced players to be helping your youth players, whether that means they become the youth players become, uh, you know, they, they grow into players and then it creates kind of a cycle where they're the experienced players helping the young players. Or if you can kind of sell them on and then continue to build the base of your squad. And I think that we are kind of doing that. Um, a lot of MLS teams will make the mistake of spending a lot of money on players uh, above the age of 30, maybe, maybe more so in previous generations where like, you know, you look at NYCFC, and even though they made the playoffs, they spent a lot of their money on Pirlo and Gerard and, and David Villa, and they didn't really have much room for much else. I mean, they did all right with bringing in, like, Jack Harrison and stuff from the draft, but, you know, once all like once that failed, they didn't necessarily have much of a, a plan going forward, and they've actually done decently well um, in kind of recouping themselves, but... You know, once you do something like that, you leave yourself at the danger of just having to blow up your entire squad. Like maybe something like uh, like Inter Miami is doing right now. Like you know, Higuain and Matuidi, uh, they're on a lot of money, and then there wasn't really much else in the squad. They tried to bring in some young players, um, but 
you know, once their plan didn't really work out, they didn't have like a core that was strong enough to kind of sustain itself and look for the future. So they kind of had to blow it up and they're looking to rebuild again. And now that's just a one-year team, but, uh, you know, a lot of people can make those mistakes. And and we were at the risk of doing that, you know, maybe when we brought in like Yuri and Justin Miriam and that kind of kind of time when there wasn't really much of a name for the future. Um, Because a lot of those guys were, you know, decent players, but they were in their late 20s. And it didn't really work out. And then we've kind of had to rebuild. And thankfully, you know, with Louis Muzi and our entire scouting department, we've done well with that, bringing in like Pereira and even Schlegel and, and players like that. And we're built for the future. And those young players are, are being helped by the experienced players in the squad. Yeah. So going back to what you talked about way at the beginning of that, uh, you yeah. did say that you thought we were in win now mode this season, which I think we're building up to that. I actually... I've had this thought in my mind next season, I think is the end game. I think that Muzi came in by this time three years ago now. And I think next season is the the real push for the it, title. And I it think would be he, two years ago, it was December, 2018. I mean, for next season, you know what I mean? Oh, uh, yeah, 2021. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I get what you're saying. I guess, I guess that's GPs. two years. I guess that's two years. But um, what I mean is just like, we're bringing in, players early we have players in their late prime uh i think next year is the year that we're going to make a full push for that mls cup and i'm not saying that you know in 2022 we're just going to be back to shit again i just think that was the aim and it looks like we're building in that direction but moving on um well, am well, I... well, well, once i was gonna comment on chase's um points right ahead, all, all very good um so he talked about miami uh being on one end of the spectrum of like too much uh, too much um money in the pot on like the veteran side of the expensive veteran side of things our other rival atlanta is has the opposite problem they spent a ton of money on talented young players and didn't have um especially after martinez got hurt uh joseph martinez um they didn't have a lot of veteran leadership in the squad to kind of bring them together, show them the ropes, make sure that that everyone's focused and, and having the right mentality. So you definitely need a good mix. And and so they were, I mean, they spent a bunch of money on who they thought were very talented players, but some of them didn't pan out like they wanted to. And so they ended up with an inexperienced squad with not a great mentality that was underperforming and not really anyone other than maybe like Jeff Lorenowitz. And when Jeff Lorenowitz is like your, your veteran leader, <laughs> captain kind of guy, yeah, you're in trouble. Like not... Not saying he hasn't had a good career, just like it's fucking Jeff Lorenowitz. Yeah, like and so when he's really. when he's your guy that's like stepping up and taking penalties, it's it's pretty sad. Like like if you don't have that veteran presence like we have in like Nani, Urso, Uri, like those kind of guys, Pereira, then you either way, you absolutely need a good mix between the two. Just to have a successful team and like a successful locker room. Not not even like tactics or product on the pitch or anything. All right, yeah, and and we are sticking with system here, so we're going to go over to Daniel, who hasn't been able to talk at all. So um, part of a vision for me, uh, when I say having a long-term and short-term vision, part of that is um, having a system in mind. Um, so you don't have to, to even know what the coach is going to put in. It's always nice to have a, a coach who you know you're, is going to be in for three or four years, like Oscar Pereja, but... You know, in 2018, he didn't know that he was going to have Oscar Pereja at his disposal. He knew what type of soccer he wanted to play. Um, 
So how do you, Daniel, this is for you, how would you buy the right players for you to be in a win-now system, even though that player might not be the right player for the system you're playing now, but might be for two to three years down the road? For me, it's um, it's more psychological than anything else. Uh, we can have you can have the best players on the pitch. In theory, we've seen this. Um, you know, Adam brought up um, Atlanta. It's a great example. You know, of the past couple of years. I mean, Atlanta did pretty well with their investments. To be fair, when they first uh, nailed it, but they got good, young, hungry players. Um, Martinez, you know, came from Italy with a point to prove. Almiron came from you know from South America, Central America to you know to raise his game and to develop, and and they did well with those with those guys. I mean, like them or not, they did do a good job, and those investments paid off. So, I think that the first thing you got to nail is like the hunger, and the mentality of the player that is going to put the team before himself. I don't think um, up until the last year, I'm not quite sure Orlando really did that. I mean, they brought Kakar in at the beginning of the run. And, you know, I mean, yep, very, very, obviously top world-class players, Kakar, but they, 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 they spent a ton of money. They, they, they put their entire budget, you know, into him. It, it set us back a couple of years having to pay him what we paid because they couldn't put him in, the, in a team with players around him that were able to take advantage of, of his talent. And that was, for me, that was kind of win now gone wrong. That could be like a like a you know limited edition DVD that you can buy. Win now gone wrong because <laughs> it did. Yeah, it brings some good moments, but I don't see the the tangible benefit that it really gave Orlando because they got progressively worse every season that he was there. We could have had three DPS on two million each. Yeah, or we could have had Kaká and Molino, and luckily mm-hmm. we had Laren. Exactly, and, and you know I'm not, I'm not slagging off Kaká at all. I mean he he was offered. You know, seven million a year is offered to be the face of a franchise. I mean, of course he's going to take it. I don't blame him at all. I, I think it's it was the wrong move at that time, and it set a trend for Orlando, which for a few years just uh, didn't work. I mean, they they reinvigorated that by bringing in Dom Dwyer based off the sentiment. Um, again, another player that you know, questionably, you know, is he is he was he for the team or is he more for himself? I don't know. I'm not sure. He was always team first. Um, he got his big contracts. Then they bring in the, the, the 2018 clutch of players, which, as you referenced on your Twitter feed the other day, were a good set of players on paper, but they just weren't the right fit for the system. You know, we, we have Merrim, Clushton, um, you know, and um, Rossell. Tarek, Sane. Tarek, Sane. Russell. I mean... Yeah, I mean, and then it's just like I don't know, like, and then they change a the coach mid-season. So it's like you're going to put that investment in, and then you're going to change the coach. It's like there's just some really haphazard decision making that's been going on, and it all speaks towards a lack of identity and a lack of purpose because there's no real direction in anything that they did. And to jettison it and then bring in James O'Connor, we we effectively lost one and a half seasons. You know, with with how that turned out, so. I think you've got to you've got to really be looking more at the mentality of the people you're bringing in, and you've got to look at players that that are hungry, that need to improve, that that want to get better, and 
you know, and I just don't think we've done that enough. I think the only players we have that have shown their upside, that have gone bro, have then left for you know for very small money or no money at all. You know, Carl Larin springs to mind. Kevin Molino is another one. I mean, Oscar Pereira's team. Can you imagine with a Kevin Molino in that team, breaking from midfield, getting beyond the forward line to score goals like he's starting to do again now? Um, a player like that could have easily been in Orlando a lot longer had they just paid him a little bit more and let him go. But they give money willingly to, to big names and win now. And uh, I really don't like the phrase win now. I know it's a very much... A, it's very much an American sports thing, but I'm not a. I'm more about a progressive sort of building thing over a few seasons and and getting something you can sustain for the long term. Yeah, and and another thing for me, uh, I think mentality is is a very good point to bring up um, of the player themselves. Uh, I think a, a very important part of bringing in players for a win now system and for a system that you might want in two to three years is versatility. Uh, you look at um, a player like Kyle Smith. I I wouldn't say that he was a player Muzi brought in, but someone who can play across the whole entire back line. You look at players we brought in like Perea now and um, uh, Mendez, who can do a couple of different roles in that midfield that you need from them. Mendez can play in a two or a three. Perea can play in a two or a three. Uh, it, it's... It's it's good so that if you do you know have to fire your coach, mm-hmm. you can say hey, you have these versatile players at your at your disposal. Uh, they can do the X Y and Z, and that coach is going to say thank you, thank you for bringing that player mm-hmm. in, uh, so I can use him instead of having to to revamp the entire squad because all of them are so narrow minded they can only play one certain position in one certain role. Well, yeah, I mean the the great the best teams now you know in modern football is that. Like I say, every player can maybe do three or four jobs, you know, at any given time on the fly, and it, I mean, it's a cornerstone of success. And, and we were just pigeonholed too much into how we could play or how we couldn't play, coincidentally, uh, because the players were so limited in what they could do. I mean, to that point, you you have like the two like premier cutting edge uh, styles of tactics are probably Jurgen Kopp and uh, Pep Guardiola, who. Both play similarly frenetic styles, but if you look at their offensive tactics, mm-hmm. their players are almost positionless. They move mm-hmm. around the pitch so much, and they're able to interchange, and they understand the system and the movement and the, the pockets of spaces they can drop in so well that they even playing for one coach for a while in the same system, they have to be adaptive because they might be playing central one game, and then mm-hmm. per how the defense is playing them, they might have to play wide the next. Nice. So. It's so, a great point. Yeah, Absolutely. It's, it's total football. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even at Leeds, we see it. We've seen it now for two and a half years. Um, we switch between a four-one-four-one and a three-three-one-three. Like there's nothing. Like it's just it's just habitual. And you'll see players just going from, you know, playing, you know, playing in impacts, so to speak, and when they're closing the ball down. But then when they get it, it's like the entire. We have a midfielder drops into the defence. We have two of our defenders pushing a midfield and two of our wingers become forwards. And it's it's really good to see, but it, it comes through through hard work on the on the training field and it comes from obviously scouting the players and making sure that they can do what you're asking them to do. You know, I mean Jack Harrison, who, you know, for our listeners is gonna be more of a you know, sort of a point of reference. He's he's a player that was scouted and, and sought out by 
by Victor Otto, who, who was the Leeds technical director, but he also signed him for Middlesbrough as well before um, before they came over to to Leeds. And he's someone that they identified very early playing in MLS. You know that he could he could move in different positions. He can play behind all the all the um, behind the striker positions, so in the middle or left or the right. And um, you know he's well scouted. He's got over a hundred games now as a loan player. At the club and um, and it's all because he's you know so versatile that he can he's played left wing back left wing right wing and as number ten. So it's uh, it's pretty good, you know. Like um, it, that's this is what you kind of have to do to build that type of system that you referenced. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, you think that's like uh, Mueller? He can play mm-hmm. right. He can play left. We've seen him play through the middle, even though yeah. we seem reluctant to do that. Uh, I know we didn't technically bring him in. But he's someone, uh, another player of that mold that you would mm-hmm. think of as versatile. Oh, yeah. uh, let's move. Let's move on to the second um, pillar, which is being financially smart. And Adam, this is your question here. Um, how would you know in the moment if the move is financially smart? Danilo um, Costa. Okay, go ahead. I love that move, and it didn't work out. And I love that. When we made it, I knew that we would be totally fine if we if it didn't work out. So here's how you know a move is financially sound. Obviously, there's some guys that like you're gonna put a few more chips in. It's a poker analogy. Like Nani, you're putting some chips in there. If you spend a bunch of money on Nani, it doesn't work out. Kind of screwed. It's okay to have a successful squad. You need some guys that are like the guy, and and just you won't be successful without a guy that can kind of rally the squad, be your captain, take over the game, whatever. But other guys where you're kind of buying lottery chip, uh, tickets a little bit are guys like Danilo Costa and Juan. Both of them came in on loans, and both of them came in with very minimal financial risk, but we, both of them we were able to easily secure a contract extension if they played well, and they played the same position. They both uh, wait, no, Acosta was a left back, right? They're both fullbacks. They're the yeah, same whatever. Position, same position. So they both came in, played fullback. Uh, Acosta, for whatever reason, could not get out of the doghouse, whether he wasn't playing well in training. Um, he had some sort of disagreement with James O'Connor, whatever. He never really got on the field much, but we didn't spend a ton of money on him. It was a very low risk, potentially high reward move because he was a young guy. He had, uh, U.S. men's national team hype around him, at least uh, uh, at the youth levels. Um, it, it was it was a move that you could get excited about, but it wasn't one that carried much financial risk. Juan was the same. We all saw like those those highlights in Brazilian league. We knew that he was fast as fuck, and nothing else about him. We didn't know if he could defend. We didn't know if he could play the ball. We didn't what we don't know anything. They came in. Juan played well. Costa didn't. So what do we do? We extended Juan. And Acosta was was let go back to RSL. Those were essentially the same move in the beginning. And the one that worked was allowed to work. And the one that didn't work was allowed to fail. And it didn't hurt us. And it didn't hurt us. Exactly. At all. So making those moves, those kinds of moves that, that are low risk, high reward, you can make a bunch of them. Because if half of them fail, you're not hurt that much still. And if half of them succeed... Well, you really like the half that succeed. Robin Janssen is another. We're not paying Robin Janssen that much money. We got him from working in a horseshoe factory. Well, he, he was playing when we bought him. Oh, yeah, he was. He was playing for, uh, was it uh, AK? 
A A I K something. Yeah. yeah. It was a but we, so he he came from working in a horseshoe factory in <laughs> Sweden, and we bought him for pretty cheap, and then he comes in and he's a starting level center back, a- and we sorely needed a starting level center back. I know he doesn't light the world on fire. Like he can't defend headers, but he's a pretty good, like on his feet defender and people like him. That's more than we can say for 90% of the center backs in Orlando city MLS history. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe even a little bit higher than that. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, when you, when you can look at, at those kinds of moves and what this really comes down to his research. And I don't think we as fans appreciate how much research goes and work goes into signing a player. Mm. Very, very rare. So we all know the story about Nani sporting wasn't paying him the wages that he wanted or wasn't able to pay him whatever. So it became known that he was, he was available to be had and then they worked quickly to sign him. That is the exception, not the rule. Uh, I think Rico or someone has said that it, the amount of work that goes into scouting and signing a player, most people would think is bonkers. It can take years, not months, years of watching, monitoring a player's development, how much they might cost, what they're making at the club, um, how they're producing at whatever club they're at, which clubs they're moving through. Are they staying at one? Are they bouncing around? Are they going out alone? How are they playing in these different circumstances? How are they playing in different systems? Does this system fit my system? Do I have enough data on this player to make an informed decision about how they'll fit my team? What's their personality like? I have to talk to their old coaches. I have to talk to their friends. If talk I can. to family members. Talk to family members. Will they be willing to relocate to my city? There are so many questions you they have to answer. They look at the answer. mental aspect a lot too, Adam. Yeah. They, they look at will he be able um, – there's a whole grading mechanism. Will he be able to um, – fit in orlando you yeah. know will will, will he, he like, the like the united states of america yeah. or will this not be uh the right country for him for his mental or his personality so many things you have to think about and the more research you can do the more of those questions you can answer the more informed your decision you can make and the more money you can be willing to risk on this player so when you have a guy like nani who has a track record who has he's won the Euros, he's moved, he's played in a bunch of different places in a bunch of different systems, and he's he's it was a world-class player at one point. You can be fairly certain that he at least won't suck. And and so you can justify that investment in him. When you have a guy like Danilo Costa who's had some problems and he's very young and he's moved around, you can't justify the investment. So you have to figure out smart ways to get a player. And I think that Luis Muzi has done a fantastic job at maneuvering, especially when we have the MLS rules and the salary gap and, and limited resources because our owner is not one of the richest in the league. Um, it's crazy saying that someone who's worth like 600 million is like a poor owner. It's crazy. But he is. But he is. When we are dealing with like Arthur Blank with a net worth of like 6 billion. And um, yeah. So... Luis Muzi has done a fantastic job on a budget finding players that can be had that fit the system or, or at least are very versatile and can fit a system that could conceivably be wanted to be run and has been able to do it on a budget. And other than Nani, I can't think of anyone because Pereira was Pereira. They always had the option to kill his DP contract and, and buy it down to Tam. So he, he even isn't that much of a big financial risk. And he got he got a little bumper contract because he was free as well. Yeah, exactly. And and 
getting players on free contract. You don't have to spend a bunch of money on a transfer fee. You can get Mauricio Pereira on a free contract. Not saying that it's never worth it to spend big money. If there's a player that you really want and you think it's just going to be a home run and you need to spend some cash on him, go ahead. But don't think that because someone costs money, that means they're good. That is, that's not the case. Yeah, that's anyway, not the same thing. You can go up and down our squad. And I think the biggest financial risk other than Nani is Dom Dwyer. <laughs> he's he's, not he's on the our one. Squad. He, well, not anymore, but yeah. Uh, of of the past year, we're we're saying up to this point. Mm-hmm. So, and he wasn't brought in by Muzi. So Muzi, the only financial risk Muzi has taken is Nani and Pereira to some extent, and uh, not even Galassi. I mean, we're playing paying a pretty salary to Galassi, but he was free too. So. Yeah, it's been a lot of really, really, really good bargain hunting. And he hasn't skimped on the quality of the player. He's just said, I can get this really good quality player who's going to fit my my culture and system. And I don't have to spend a bunch of money here. So I'm going to do it, which is in contrast to the acquisition styles of some other teams like Miami, who a lot of players on Miami cost some money. Now, Miami has money to throw around. But that didn't make them better, now did it? So that's that's what I would say Muzi is very, very good at, is smart, smart spending, and especially mitigating risk and not really picking up really any players other than one or two that represent a significant squad-breaking financial risk. Yeah, and and in all honesty, that that like you said, that is one of his his best traits in my opinion how he works with the money he has because it's not a lot like you said but flipping it to the other side chase going to you when you don't make a move you know it's kind of hard to say was that the right move to not make that move um so i'll give you an example um and there let's just caveat this we don't have all the information available but let's say it was us who said nope you're asking too much for Flora now. Come on. I know you're only asking for 750,000 more, 1.1 million more, but that is too much. Um, how do you, how do you come away from that saying we made the right move to not sign this player because of X, Y, and Z? Uh, well, also real fast about like the last topic. I think that something that we've done really well is like our utilization of the loan market because we've had a lot of options or even obligations to buy, and that kind of lets you get a test run of a player, and if they're not worth it, you don't have to spend the money, and you get them for a season, and if they are, obviously, you make the deal permanent like we did previously, but, uh, and, you know, I think we've done really well with that with, like, Juan, Perea, Carlos, and Schlegel, and so on, but mm-hmm. back to the question that you just asked, um, I, I think that you kind of have to look at, 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 at the terms on the table and, and see you can even kind of tie it back to the the first question, like see how this would affect your club both in the short term and in the long term. And Florinel Coman, even though he was a young player, like that was a very clear financial risk because we were looking to pay like probably the highest transfer fee maybe this club has ever paid, unless I'm like heinously nope. mistaken. But it was nope. like it was Josue like, Coman is like in the two to three million range. He's the highest. Yeah, yeah. We were looking to spend like eight million, and I want to say that was only for like fifty percent of his rights as a player. So that would mean either he has to become one of the best players in the league and we have to get some kind of tangible results from this player because even if he, like, hits, like, unless he is, like, one, like the best player the MLS has ever seen, you know what I'm saying? Like, if he just hits like a normal player, 
you would have to sell him probably for 20, 20 plus million to even recoup the money that you spent. You know what I'm saying? Like that, Mm -hmm. that is like an inherent financial risk. And honestly, like that's not guaranteed. Not even close. That's probably a very low percentage. Yeah. 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 Like, like, yeah, like it's, it's very possible that he could have came. And I mean, Daniel, Daniel made a good point talking about kind of the mentality of a player and, and even Adam, like talking to friends and family, like it very well seemed like whether or not it was kind of blown out of proportion with the people that we were dealing with because Gigi Bacali, um, their, uh, their kind of sporting director owner of Stowe Bucuresti is genuinely insane. But like, I don't <laughs> very know. Very outspoken. Florin- yeah. I don't know if Florin Coleman is, is, is also that type of player, but you have to kind of look at that mentality issue because a lot of players can come and this is kind of a MLS specific thing. Like you always have the potential for a player to come in maybe a la like a PD Martinez and they are not, they think the league's below them and, and you don't really get what you want. And unless you have like a, you know, like Asian markets in soccer specifically are willing to overspend for players. So maybe Atlanta got a decent amount of money back for them. But unless you have some, some team like that lined up willing to overpay for a player, you're not going to be able to recoup a lot of that money. And, and, you know, that is an inherent financial risk. So, mm-hmm. and it's not even necessarily just, which I haven't tracked for now, come on. So I don't know how well he's been doing recently, but even if he did go like, you know, do well, bang as a player, like you still kind of have to look at where we are financially as a team, specifically talking about like Orlando city, where like we really can't afford or we couldn't have afforded to spend you know, whatever, 15 million and only get 80% of a player's fees, particularly a player that is still a little bit questionable in terms of whether or not he's going to hold his value or something like that. So I I think kind of to maybe tie it back a bit, like you have to look at the financial situation of your club, whether or not you are able to make this risk, which when it comes to the MLS, you know, we, we have like, you know, all of these rules that we talk about that even we, which, you know, we, talk about this league a lot a lot of our listeners will follow this league i can guarantee really that nobody fully understands like the financial kind of uh there are gms who have to ask about the rules yeah and and that that just kind of tells you that it's so complicated and and with all of the money that mls teams get and and you know really no player other than miguel almiron going for a significant fee um it's it just it it's really risky you know what i'm saying like in order for me to be okay with something like that, which maybe at the time I wanted us to kind of go for a player like that because I was just wanting us to be an actual decent team. But looking at it now, now that we are like a decently well-run team with quality players, like that is not a risk that you should be willing to take because even if it does go well, it still has the ability to, to kind of sink us financially or at least make us lose a lot of money, which is obviously a bad thing because – you know, even the Whitecaps, when they sold Alfonso Davies, who was a homegrown, they didn't really, oh, excuse me, they didn't really get a lot of money out of it. So you just have to understand the financial implications of, of spending a lot of money in this league, particularly not getting all the players' rights. And just, just you can't, I, I guess you can't kill yourself about like, you know, oh, what could have been and this player could have done well because it really like you do have to be a little bit more tentative in this league than if you were mm-hmm. a man city or something like that. You and... have to make every single dollar count uh, because look, yeah. I, I think it was either you or it was Adam, but just because it isn't cheap doesn't mean it isn't smart. Um, you know, PT Martinez was 
Martini. Martinez was um, not smart because he was the wrong profile of player to to go for that much money. Um, same with Barco. Um, same with Josue Coman as well for us. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a bit like a okay. Um, Gustavo Bo. He was not cheap, but he was a good financial move for them. Uh, for New England Revolution. Uh, he's been a very big player for them. Last year, he dragged them into the playoffs. This year, he 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 and Jill brought them to the playoffs and then de- defeated us. We really defeated ourselves. But, um, like, that's a good move. And, and just because yeah, he was $7, $8 million, that, do- that doesn't mean it's not financially smart because it did pay off for the Revolution. Yeah, and he was previously established, so it's... It's still a risk because, you know, like yes. you know, Chicharito came in and was terrible, but mm-hmm. it's it's something that you can feel more confident about because he has like a larger body of work to look back on. And under like you have a better idea of what this player is. You don't have to kind of predict what type of player they're going to grow into be because that could, you know, like that's that's a bit of a crapshoot. Like I'm sure obviously people who have been around the game for quite some time will be able to kind of predict and understand how players improve more but even still it's just it's it's so hard to predict because there's so many intangibles that that go into it and when you have like a body of work like that with Gustavo Bo even with Alan Pulido um it's it's a little bit less of a risk because you know I think that you also are going into that with the understanding that you're not going to recoup that money you are just looking at the player the value that they can provide your club rather than you know that that also kind of that's like that is an experienced player that is built for now and then you need to kind of balance it out with players who are built for the future like it's okay to spend money on players that you pretty much know are going to come in and do very well and and all of the players around you are also going to benefit and that's that's something as well like how a player is going to benefit the rest of your squad but Mm -hmm. yeah that's something that you know the revs have done very well with so there, there are two things i want to touch on when we're talking about uh basically financially financial decision making and um profitability and stuff like that i don't want us to get results confused with process in that so yes gustavo bo alan pluto are good big money spending obviously pity martinez didn't work but we have to look at why so we have sample size pity martinez is younger than those other two players he has a smaller sample size of success and and uh chicharito had a big sample size, but he also has a big sample size of being a disappointment at various stops. So what exactly? And he was a declining player. So what Atlanta and LA Galaxy did with those failures is they just threw money at a name and hoped it would work out. What uh, SKC and um, New England did is they spent big money on a name with proven track record of success that they could reasonably project. Um, because they did their homework and fits their system and fit their system would have success in MLS. So they used a good process to identify the correct player to spend big money on rather than, Ooh, Chicharito's available. Let Mm -hmm. me buy it. The second thing I want to talk about is what is the number one way to make money as a sports team? Can anyone tell me? Buy low, sell high. Nope. Easiest way. Well, not easy, but number one, you, you will make the most money doing this. It's more so like, simple than you think. Shirt sales. sales? Winning. Oh, you make enough. money when you win. 
So you make, yes, through shirt sales, through ticket sales, through sponsorships, through TV rights, through your players becoming more valuable and being able to sell them for more, more money. I take the same player and I have Burnley selling them and I have Arsenal selling them. Who's, same exact player, same stats, same experiences, same everything. We cloned the guy and put one of them at Burnley and one of them at Arsenal. Who sells for more money? Fair point. Very fair point. The Arsenal You player. make money by winning. And so even if so you buy Alan Polito, you're probably not going to make money on his sale when, when you sell him on, whenever he moves on. You might not make any money. He might just leave. It doesn't matter because the money he's making you is by making your club better so other people spend money on your club. And so that's that's a thing that a guy like, we're not going to make any money off Mauricio Pereira. We're just not. It's not going to happen. He's going to play out his contract eventually, and he's going to leave. What we're going to make money off of Mauricio Pereira from is Mauricio Pereira is going to win us games. He's going to make... Ooh, I'm going to start that sentence over because I knocked my microphone. What we're going to make money off of Mauricio Pereira from is he's going to win us games. He's going to make the players around him better. He's going to teach the young players how to play, how to be, have a good mentality. He's going to make them more valuable. And we're going to sell Chris Mueller for a million more than we would have if Mauricio Pereira didn't come to Orlando. That's how he makes us money. So those are two things that I think is very are very, very important to touch on when we're talking about financial responsibility and how to spend big money in an intelligent way with a good process. Yeah, finances are the most important thing to me when it comes to building a squad. You could have a vision. Um, you can you can make the right decisions at the right time, uh, and that does play into finances a little bit. Uh, you can learn from your mistakes. You can use the MLS draft well. But if you are dumping money into the wrong players, if you are selling your players for low fees and not recouping anything that you might deserve, might not deserve, or that you might deserve, you know, you're not going to be able to build the squad that you want. But let's put the finance talk aside. We've gotten through two of the pillars and it's already been 42 minutes. So let's move on to, to another big topic, and that is making the right decisions at the right time, when to sign contracts, when to sell players, when to buy players. And so Daniel, coming to you, let's start with the selling aspect. How do you know when it's a good time to sell a player that you own? This is, for me, a pretty simple question, uh, but for you in your mind, when is the right time to sell a player? Yeah, I was just getting myself woken up after that last half hour. I know, I felt so bad. Feel free to chip in, Daniel. I don't know anything about money. <laughs> one of those right. You take as much time as you want, dog. I'm one of those, like you know, those poor farm, northern farmer people. I don't, I don't do money. He's a real estate agent, guys. He knows a lot about money. Whatever. <laughs> All right. How do you know, how do you know it's a good good idea to sell a player? Like when? Um, I don't know. Like, um, I think in this day and age, you got to rely on data and metrics. You know. Um, and you've got to pay attention to the small things. Like, you've got to look at the yards a player puts in. You've got to look at the, the pass completions. You've got to look at the the key passes, all of that type of stuff. And, you know, when you see that on the decline, I think um, I think New York Red Bulls probably did this with Sasha Question when they sent him to Orlando. I had read, and I didn't look into this extremely deeply, so I can't give you the in-depth scope on it. But from what I'd, I'd gathered, 
when I was reading about that transaction was that they looked at a player whose whose numbers, even though his uh, production was good on paper, and he was you know he was a top ten creative midfield player in, in terms of assists in the MLS. Uh, they looked at some of the other statistics about him and they were just dropping off slightly. And that's just when they decided, you know what, we can get 1.2 million in, in um, is it 1.2 million or so? In Tam and Gam and so forth. And um, they obviously made that decision and it was a very well-driven, sort of data-driven um, you know, decision to make. And I feel like that's when every club should really be doing that. You, you need to be looking at players on the on the up, not, not on the down. And and maybe, you know, you've got to kind of take the sentimentality out of it as well. And and although you want to recognise that a player might be having a poor season, you've got to look between the lines at those smaller details and see if they're still adding to the team in a, in a positive way. Like, let's take Dom Dwyer, for example. Um, not this season. This season's a wash. Um, he was very unfortunate with his injury and, and such, but... Last season, you can look at his input on the team, and he, he didn't get very many goals then, but what else did he do in the team that might have benefited the other players? The question is, is he didn't really do very much, and maybe last year was the time we should have looked at putting him on the market and, and trying to shift him, try and get something back, you know, in terms of um, the interleague, you know, time and game, or, or maybe even sending him off abroad if he can go, you know, but... In the end, they held on to him, and, and they probably worried too much about sentimentality and so on. And in the end, we ended up paying quite quite dearly for an asset that didn't produce. And the the key the key to the the early sale really is is you've you've got to use some common sense, but you've got to look at data and 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 look at the at the tan- little intangible things, so to speak, and and also the very fine lines of data that can determine what player does for your team when they haven't got the ball or when they haven't, you know, uh, got themselves on the score sheet as such. That's, that's Without going into massive, massive, massive depth, that's really the crux of the argument for me. I think, um, to your point as well, uh, there's a player on our, our team right now who I think at this point could apply to, and that actually is Chris Mueller. Um, yes. He had, he had, so he had a really good year, right? And, you know, non-penalty... Uh, goals and assists per 90 like you know not including penalties how often he would score a goal a goal or contribute an assist per 90 um he was the second best player in the league like he was above Diego Rossi he was above um I don't know Bogusi, Polito, Zardes even the only player he wasn't above was Bradley Wright Phillips but he was second in the league and he averaged a goal or an assist non-penalty goal or assist per 90 and that is that that is you know that's an elite level contribution that's higher than Jordan Morris that's higher than Pazuelo and, and all the names I've mentioned previously and unfortunately like XG and expected assists which you know anyone who's listening can go to AmericanSoccerAnalysis.com and that's like the best place for MLS you know kind of more in depth stats like chances created and, and XG all that all that stuff but he is kind of over overperforming there and I think Daniel actually put it very well that like you know I, I kind of subscribe to this philosophy i guess when it comes to you know managing a team that's like you should sell a year early it's better to sell a year early than kind of wait it out and maybe sell a year late and i think that we could kind of be in the danger of that for chris Mueller. like say we do get some kind of offer from uh groaning in or, or whomever for you know maybe four million which i don't think is a necessarily outrageous fee um 
I would. I'm accepting really, that in a heartbeat. Yeah, I would really, really consider taking that, even like three million, because, and you know, I hope and pray that he proves me wrong. But if you do look at raw numbers, like Daniel's talking about, like he was one of the biggest overperformers in the league, and there are major teams like like Liverpool, like their scouting department. They famously like kind of really don't even watch games; they just look at raw numbers. And there's a lot to be taken from this. And he kind of was the biggest overperformer. And, and, you know, I hope that I look like an idiot and he continues on this path. But, like, there are things kind of pointing to maybe it's not as sustainable as we would think. So hey, I, I, I pulled up ahead. his numbers. One sec, Adam. One sec. Okay. I pulled <laughs> Sorry, up his Adam. numbers. Um, expected goals, 6.1. He scored 10. And his expected assists, 3.4. He did six assists. Um, so yeah. a total of seven uh, six and a half, seven over his expected. And now that's always going to be over if you had a good season and under if you had a bad season, but just because of the way the stat works. But all in all, he really outperformed his, what was expected. Um, so I just wanted to throw those numbers out there because Chris Mueller is a player. I'm, we're going to talk about it in the second part to the series. But in my opinion, if an offer does come in, he needs to go. I mean, if you look at uh, who was it? Um, Houston, um, did not accept a big offer for one of their players, uh, Albert Elise, I believe. Albert Ellis, yeah. And then they, they rejected that for a lot of money. And then a couple of years later, he moved, um, for a lot less money. Um, you look at Will Trapp, he was about to go abroad and then never went. And now he's struggling at Inter Miami. Those are players that almost got their teams a lot of money and then they held on too long and, it just didn't work out for them. And that that hurts a player's mentality as well. Like, hey, I've risen to the point of where a European team wants me. My team doesn't let me go because they're haggling for an extra $2 million, $1 million um, amount. You know, I that hurts. That I'm not going to put in as much effort. Uh, it sounds petty, but, like, some players are just like that. So sometimes you need to pull the trigger at the right time. Uh, you can go ahead, Adam. I think it really just comes down to playing the probabilities. Is it likely that in this coming season, Chris Mueller has another top five G plus A per 90 season? Mm -mm. No. The answer to that question is the opposite of of the answer to should we sell him? If Preha, Muzi, Ricardo believe that, that he's going to have another top five season, they should keep him. If they believe that he's not, then they should sell him right now because this is when his value will be his highest, and this will be his best opportunity to move to a good European team. And it's, it's not a knock it really on that Mueller. It is not at all. It's just what is likely to happen. Uh, and look, he's he's dwindling down on his contract as well. We just offered him the option. I wouldn't be surprised to see him leave this offseason. Uh, and, and by the way, four is what we got for Yoshi Otoon. And the thing about this, so... Of that four, say we get four for him, which I think would be a great fee for Chris Mueller. You can put two million of that into buying a Chris Mueller replacement. I'm sure we could get a Chris Mueller replacement. Give, give Rico Moreira two million dollars. Say, find me a Chris Mueller. He can so, um, a player who I likened to Chris Mueller after looking at some of his his YouTube footage was Sylvester Vanderwater, and he was around the two million range. Um, obviously, that deal fell through uh, because of the player reaction and that obviously hurt our idea of him 
men- mentally as a player, but you can find players who are similar to Chris Mueller for two million out there. Um, I'd agree with that. All right. Do you guys have anything to add on the uh, making the right decisions? Did did we talk about buying players at the right time, or no? We haven't. We we've uh, talked about buying players. Okay. Okay. We'll we'll move on. Um. I, I so, think, yeah. So the fourth is ability to learn from past mistakes uh reviewing what went right what went wrong um so just just being able to look back at everything and say hey we messed up here we need to not do that again that's something that arsenal is struggling with a lot they have been buying older players to win win now mode they've been trying to get back into the champions league oh if we just get a striker oh if we just get a good center back oh if we just get uh, a good midfielder then then we'll get back into the champions league we'll buy a 28 year old experienced player we'll buy a 29 year old experienced player and when, when they'll push us over the hump that's just all we're missing when in reality they just keep making mistake after mistake after mistake and these players are not working out and we have a bunch of dead horrible players on our team who aren't going to get us there you also need to learn from what you did right and make sure you're still doing that again. So looking back at Orlando City, like we've talked about the loan process, um, Juan, um, we obviously saw that that went right. Danilo Costa, that went right. So let's do that again. We bring in Perea. We bring in, bring in Schlegel. We bring in, um, who was our other loan? Uh, Alvarado. Um, did we have one more? Antonio Carlos. Carlos. Antonio Carlos. Uh, bringing in all these players saying, hey, they played well. Let's bring them in and have them for the future. Um, so real quick on Alvarado, I don't think that was a good process. Uh, so I, I think bought him at the time. I think that was more financial than it was looking to see if he was a yeah. good player for us. I think it was just. But if, if they're going to do the, the loan to buy thing, I would rather have like the full season of that loan to see if you want to finalize it. You know what I mean? They kind of had no choice, but to finalize that it's like, okay, we got like, 20 minutes out of the guy here you can have him back i'm saying so they they kind of not that i think it will necessarily bite us in the ass i think alvarado will be a fine player and i don't think we have too much money sunk into him but they didn't do the loan the same way that they had done others yeah that's fair um chase there's not a lot to look at from learning from past mistakes when it comes to Muzi, because we are just looking from Muzi and beyond here. Um, but the only mistakes I would think of that they would look into is something like Muzi is never, ever, ever going to put a no trade clause in a contract. Muzi is never, ever, ever going to put in a um, automatic extension after 30 games in the contract. You know, so like, what do you think of like looking at past mistakes from other GMs? And like past mistakes that he might have made, maybe like a, a Rabinho or maybe even a Costa, even though that wasn't a financial mistake. But like as a player, he didn't fit here when we had JOC. Uh, what do you think of that whole process for, for Muzi? Yeah, I mean, I think it is equally as important. Like you can look at like Dom Dwyer being the kind of, I guess, mistake that has really still come around to harm us in this previous year. And understand that yeah like it's it's not smart to put all of your allocation money in a player who you know i mean at the time like he was he was like an all-star level player but like it it just has to be more than just 
more than maybe like a Cinderella story, I guess, if that makes sense. Like there definitely was a, almost more of an emotional appeal than there was kind of like a statistical and like a team fit appeal. Um, but, and this is kind of like an extension of this, of this thought process, I guess. It's also just kind of learning from the broader soccer world, if that makes sense. Like, and you can even apply this to like other sports, like, you know, if anyone's ever seen like the movie, like Moneyball, like the Boston Red Sox took a lot of the things that worked for the athletic or the Oakland athletics rather. And they applied that. And then within a couple of years, they were world series champions. And you have to kind of look around the league and, and maybe try to understand what type of metrics teams are using, what, you know, just, just what general philosophies, like whatever they may be, people are starting to apply and you kind of have to adapt or die. And you can, and like I said, like you can apply that to looking at your past mistakes and how you can improve upon them. And then you can also kind of look at how the, the world around you is changing and then kind of move forward, which I think is kind of the heart and, and meat, I guess, of this question where it's like you have to look at, at everything that is happening and you have to understand how to make adjustments because, it, you know, a number 10 today is different than number 10 five years ago. Like, like the point of that is like, the, the the landscape, I guess, of the sport is constantly changing, even on a more microscopic level in the MLS to a broader level of just just the, the sport in general. And you have to look at your own mistakes. You have to look at the successes of other teams. You have to look at your successes as well and, and look at what you did right and, and how you can kind of tweak it and, and, you know, maybe replicate that success. And that is, you know, not something that we have a big enough sample size with Louis Muzi to say, like, oh, you know, he's doing that right. We, he has made a lot of successes right now, and now it's up to him to kind of capitalize and kind of, you know, obviously you won't stray from your successes, but, you know, not maybe get left behind and, and continue to adapt, which I'm sure they will. Like, honestly, like, I, I do have a lot of faith in them, as I'm sure a lot of you do, and, and I think that this is something that they can do, but it is really imperative that you don't get left behind, which I kind of think was the maybe the biggest mistake of you know, Nikki Budalik and, and, and people like that looking at players who succeeded in a different time when we are in a different, when we were in, you know, the next generation, I guess, you know, people use that term like MLS 2.0 or whatever. And I know it's a little bit cringy, but like we weren't building for the current landscape of the league that we were in. We were kind of building for the future and we got left behind it because of that. And it kind of held us back for quite some time. So you just have to be able to adapt to whatever's happening. Yeah, and, and something I think about mistakes as well is a lot of people are quick to say this was a mistake without be with like in the moment, without having um without being able to know what the future looks like. So like I think if we sold Chris Mueller, a lot of people would say, This is a mistake without seeing who we're bringing in in four weeks' time. Um you know, when we sold Higita, this is a mistake. Well, we have Jackson Mendez. Um, we bring in Urso. Uh, was it as big of a mistake as everybody thought it was when it first happened? No. Um, oh, we didn't sell Higita. Well, okay. We, we, just we let, let, let Higita. Yes, let him go. That's what I meant. He left. I still think team. that was a mistake, by the way. <laughs> He's back on the market. Is he really? Yeah, I don't think that I resigned him. I think he's a free agent. Okay, well, let's. Would you, would you take him back? All three of you, right now? Would you yes. take Higita back? But I, no. I have a personal love affair with nah. Higita. I'm on a no as well. Um, 
we just have too many players in that area of the pitch already. Um, I would sell one of them and then bring Kikita back. Yeah, but you're extremely biased. Um, all right, then. That's about all we can do for past mistakes. And then quickly here, utilizing the MLS draft. We've done a fantastic job of utilizing the MLS draft. So back to you, Daniel. Um, how important is it that we scout well in the college ranks and uh, ooh, hit my mic and bring in players who can can be first team squad players for us for you know three four years to come? It's important not just because of the quality that you get now, but you want to make the club as attractive as possible for anyone else. You know, you, you want you want some of these players to to want to come uh, down here, and the way to do that is to is to procure them and then and then play them, give them minutes and so forth. I mean, I know you don't have as much control as you would like with with the process because the the draft order is you know, favors the teams that uh, perform the the worst during a season, but all in all, you still want to you want to use the draft as a, as a platform, not just for, for scouting and finding good players, but if you have a, a club as a reputation of developing young players and giving them minutes, then other young players from other sort of um, areas would, would want to join as well. You know, like um, you think of how other teams like Dallas and, and New York Red Bulls, you know, push, push uh, youth team players in and give them minutes, you know, someone coming from another country or whatever might look at that and think, you know what, I want to go to that club because I know I'm going to get to play. So I think the Superdraft has multiple facets for us and it's first and foremost a platform for the younger guys to get in, uh, develop, sell for profit hopefully, but also as a means of just saying, look, we play young players here. If you're good enough, you'll play. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. The The, the one that I was thinking of, mainly was the financial aspect, but there are good MLS level players that are in college. And mm -hmm. if you can make yourself attractive and obviously, you know, if you pick them and they're good, they will play for you because uh, they want to play professional soccer, but just that little bit extra, um, Hey, you know, DK got a chance and he's going to be off to Europe in two years. Mm -hmm. well, now if I push well. extra hard under this same coach that did that for him, that's a good point, um, then I'll get that chance. Then I'll play. Joey Desart, who was fourth or fifth level center mid, got 11 appearances this season. He got plenty of minutes and some big games too. Um, didn't he start an Atlanta United game or, or something mm -hmm. like that? That was his first start, mm -hmm. I think. And, um, and he played 90 no, no. minutes in his first start. And another thing is, as well, is that a lot of those draft super draft picks, so they're actually good players. I mean, I feel like um, there's obviously some some coaches are the exception to the rule with this, but a lot of the attitudes, you know, many coaches have had in the past is kind of archaic towards young players. Like they just, you know, it's like a a catch twenty two where you're like, well, I can't play them because they haven't got any experience, but then you're not going to get experience because you haven't played. And Richard Larea is the biggest example I can think of um, of a player that was let go, who should never have been allowed to go, and was never given many minutes by by any of the coaches. You know, and you know he uh, he's gone on now and become you know a top top quality MLS right back. You know, and, and you think of uh, the problems we have this season with in Orlando, where we've had 
you know, when one's been missing, we've we've had a, a lack of a dimension on that right hand side to attack. And you think, well, Richard Larea can play right back, can play centre mid, can play as a ten, can play on the wing if he had to. Would have been a good player, and I and I feel like he's one of those that Oscar Pereira would have um, would have used very very well had he not been sort of discarded. And and you know the way he was treated by by the Orlando City, you know, coaches in the past, it, it kind of nearly ruined his career. It took him five or six months to get a new club. And it could easily have gone, gone the other way. He could have he could have ended up down in USL. But Toronto took a chance on him and, you know, good for him. He, he went on and did really well with it. You know, it's, it's too many players get, get cast onto the scrap heap, I feel like. Yep. And, and if we want to talk about mistakes, that's probably the biggest mistake of Muzi's tenure. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you, and that's just with hindsight. You can't say at the time because I don't think any of us were saying at the time. You know, Lorea is maybe a good player. He was playing right midfield for us at the time, um, but he hasn't impacted the game. This coach that we have wasn't mm-hmm. using him. We didn't I was really with, see um, the new coach using him. It's funny because I was with two people and I saw him in his last appearance. I think was like to, home to like Seattle or something. We lost two one, mm-hmm. and it was in twenty eighteen, which was a horrible season, of course. Um, but I said to these two people, I said, "You know, I wonder what Larea could do as a right back." You know, and they were like, "Really?" And he says, "Yeah." <laughs> I he wonder. Ended, he ended up playing like um, when he came in that game, and I don't know why I remember obscure things like this, but I remember he it's was playing you're right. Like, well, he played. He played. Um, him and Mueller were both on at the same time. We were chasing the game, and both him and Mueller were playing on the wing back positions. And Mueller was playing left wing back, and he was playing right wing back. Mm. We were chasing the game. Uh, we were like two two nil down or whatever. But um, but I thought to myself, like he just looked like a decent little player. He just knew he looks up when he gets the ball. He knows when to pass it. He, he knows how to run and get into the channels. And I'm just thinking, you know, he could do a job at that right wing back position. You know, and of course, he he never got seen again, and got picked up several months later. Well, yeah, uh, mm. definitely a big mistake there. Um, so one thing I want to go back to, and Daniel, I'm actually going to stick to you on this question as well because I forgot to ask it earlier when we moved on from the making the right decisions at the right time. Um, I want to ask you when it's the right time to sell an influential player. Um, so if you think of, let's say Higita, he was the longest serving player at the, at the team. And yet I know I said sell, but we let him go. Basically, when is it right to move on from an influential player in the locker room? Hmm. It's a good question. Cause there's too many answers for that one. You know, like influential is too broad a, a spectrum really to, to work with. I mean, Don Dwyer was influential clearly. Yeah. But he was like he had to go because of the the salary and the fact that he's he's not able to play regularly. He can't trust him anymore with his fitness. Um, Higuita is a good, obviously a good good, good point in, in question. But he was making he was making quite a lot of money. I mean, I don't know. Like I have to go with the simple answer, and the simple answer is: is if the player is the player in your is he is he in your eleven? Does he play every game? If you had every single player available, would he be on the pitch? And with Higuita, the answer to that was, was going to be no, I think. Especially in a salary cap league where he was taking up around 10%, maybe 12% of the cap. I feel the need to clarify that. Higuita's sure. salary was only so expensive at the end because he 
the front office asked him to take less than he was worth when he first signed his contract at the beginning mm-hmm. of that so they could afford Kaká. Well, there so you that go. Was, that was not his fault in the slightest. I'm not blaming, I'm not blaming Higuero. It, uh, I think that's... Vi- I think... I think Christian Nigueto is very um, hard done by by both the club and by James O'Connor. No, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, back. Oh, I'm not. I'm not blaming Nigueto at all. I mean, we, it goes back to Kakar again. That you know, we went out and you know, you you can barely afford the house shit. You buy the Porsche, you know, and then you can't drive the Porsche because you can't afford to put any gas in it anymore. That's my you know little sort of analysis of Kakar there. Um, Higuita is, you know, like I say, maybe it was a victim of circumstance, but at the end of the day, his closing season in Orlando, it was, it was like a player that you know you'll see him in the eighteen type of player, but it's never someone that you felt but was he, ever going to be in the eleven for, but fully. He, but when he was on the field, he was like the best player in the field. Yeah, and that's 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 obviously a, an opinion related, you know, you know. Um, input you got there you know a lot of people will say yes and a lot of people will say no I mean it was hard in that season to to not be the best player because so many were poor I think personally is a good player I think there's a there's a role for him in the squad we have now but if you're saying we have to pay 500,000 to him to do that I would be saying I would rather take that 500 and get a specialist player that you can guarantee oh, an 11th spit you know a place in the I, 11th I don't, think it would, I don't think it would cost that much now you know, sir. No, I mean it's yeah. like you say. He probably was hard done by. I mean the the contracts that were distributed. I mean he was hard done by, but Carl Larian was robbed. You know, for the amount of input he put into the team, he got paid a pittance for it. So it's he's a symptom of a problem that you know is thankfully now getting extinguished. But um, you know that it obviously was the best time for him to go as well. If they if they'd have kept him and and he's not a player that Oscar maybe didn't feel he was going to use every week, then you've got to use that money for somebody that's going to play every week. And and in a league that's not a salary cap league, he might well have stayed. I just think it's partly a, you know, in this particular situation, it's a it's the result of a a very strict set of guidelines you've got to adhere to. Now, Adam. Kind of yeah. similar to the when do you sell an influential player? Another another hard thing to do sometimes is to buy an an older player, maybe a thirty plus year old, aka Junior Urso. Um, so when is it a good time to bring in a player of that ilk? I think you can do it kind of whenever you want, just don't make a habit of it. Um, you need those players on your team. You need right. You need a good mix of uh, young guys who are developing young guys who are ready to play right now and old guys who can still ball and the old guys who can still ball category in, on our team is Nani Pereira and Urso and uh, Uri to a certain extent though I'd say he's at the, t- the tail end of his, of his prime rather than you know guy and like Pereira is like a young old guy um, so obviously you have like in-betweens in all of those categories also but when you're going to buy a player you just have to know that you're not going to make any money on the sale of that player and so you have to be sure that what that player is going to give you in the locker room and on the pitch and in marketing is going to make up for the fact that you're not going to be able to recoup any of your investment on a sale. Could you and imagine if, all, if we didn't have Urso this year? Yeah, we would have been in a tough spot. Oh, as yeah. much as he doesn't fit, sometimes he definitely saved our asses a lot. Oh, yeah. Just to be a, a experienced, good enough body in the midfield. Whew. Now, 
this is where just because we were just talking about Higita, I think if we still had Higita, we wouldn't have Urso, and I think it would have been just fine. But for argument's sake, we did we ended up moving on from Higita and we got Urso to replace him and it did work out. So you just have to be reasonably sure that when you do spend that money on that declining player, that player still has enough left in the tank to be effective, that they're going to buy into your system, that they don't have an ego so much that it'll be just about them and not about the team at all. I know we've talked about Nani's ego a little bit and he does have it, but he is still about the team. He still wants to win. He's still going to put the work in and he's going to, He's not going to be so arrogant that he's not going to bring the other players along with him. And so you have to, you definitely have to do your homework on personality. Like I don't think Zlatan was a good pickup for the LA galaxy. Yes. He played very, very well for them. They didn't win shit. They didn't win anything with Zlatan Ibrahimovic. All they did was make a bunch of headlines and he scored a bunch of goals and that was it. And so you have to be and. I personally am just not a fan of Zlatan's whole shtick in the in the first place. But if you're going to spend money on a declining player that you're going to make no money off of when you when they leave, then you have to know you have to absolutely know that they are going to be a reason that you contend for trophies. Yeah, that's that's very well said. Um, let's just finish up the episode here by kind of putting in our input on. Anything we really disagree with from the point Louis Smoozy came into the club until today. Um, so I'm just going to list off really quickly the squad he had on December 18th, 2018, which is when he was hired. So in goal, he had Bendik, Ranjit Singh, Earl Edwards, Grinwis, and Staz Johar. Um, five goalkeepers, wow. Um, in defense, he had Sané, Spectre, Schuler, who retired a couple weeks later, so that doesn't really count. O'Neal, uh, Joao Moutinho was already here uh, a couple of days prior. The trade had been made for uh, El Munir. Um, Sutter, Allen, and Kyle Smith came in the day after with Ranjit Singh, so he didn't really make that move. Um, Midfield-wise, we had Yotun. Um, Yuri Rossell was here. Cam Lindley, Will Johnson, Higita, Carlos Asquez, Question, Dylan Powers, Josue Coman, Pierre De Silva, and Chris Mueller. And then in the forwards, we had Dom Dwyer. Obviously, um, Tejuacandele did actually come in beforehand, um, a, about a week before he arrived. Akindele was announced. Um, Jose Villarreal and Stefano Pino. So that was our squad, which, whew, that was a rough squad. I forgot December... Villarreal played for us. Yeah, played. Totally forgot about yeah. him. Yeah, barely played he for us. He got like 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Here and there. Um December 18th, 2018, that is what Muzi had to deal with. If you guys want to look and, and see all the moves we made, I'll give you a second. But do you have any moves that you kind of have on the top of your head that you uh, would disagree with? Or any that you really, really, really want to praise? I have. I have one glaring error that Luis Muzi has made. That I don't think anyone expected him to make. Or at least it hasn't been rectified yet, but he does have time. So we've talked about the the squad that has been built to this point. You know what we haven't talked about at all? The Academy and OCB. We haven't said a word about it to this point on this recording. And Muzi was brought in. We all looked at FC Dallas's Academy system. We're like, ooh, let me get one of those. 
And we're like, Muzi's going to build that for us. And then we get to this point in time, two, uh, just about two years after he's been hired, and we still have no idea what's going to happen with that. We have a vague idea that there is an academy system in place, and there are like some youth coaches doing some things. OCB, we don't know if and when they're going to play again and how and where. We have a new training Aren't they facility. in that new, that new youth league? Are they? I don't MLS know. Next MLS or something? Uh, has that been has that been officially announced? I don't know if it's been officially announced, but I think there's been some rumblings. Yeah. Um, In yes, event, that's a good point. Up, the academy's blown been... up the academy system twice since Muzi's been here. It, the way we've handled that has been atrocious. God awful. Yeah. And that was supposed to be his strength. Now, he has time to fix it. I think this is his last chance to fix it. I don't think he... I honestly do not think Luis Muzi can survive blowing it up another time. I think that will get him fired because I can guarantee you that that was one of his selling when like Latel and co were interviewing him. I guarantee you Muzi talked about, look what I did for the Academy in Dallas. And, and they're like, okay, can you do that for us? And he probably said, yes, if he's not able to deliver on that promise, you can't, you cannot maintain a, a roster like ours with the the lack of available funds compared to other teams without getting academy products. It's just not possible. You cannot keep hitting at that rate. It will bite you in the ass. There will be regression to the mean. He He's hit an astounding rate so far. It's unsustainable. I'm just saying that right now. It is unsustainable. That, that's very fair. Um, I do think that the academy is a mess. I don't know if COVID had any impact on the decision making with the academy, as obviously they aren't as important as the first team. Um, but yeah, it, it's an entire mess, and we've we've talked about it multiple times. Um, if I can put a, a a name forward for a mistake that I think the front office made, I would say Santiago Patino, um, a player who. I guess we were forced to draft because we weren't able to bring him in under the homegrown rules. I believe that's correct, and I am correct in saying that. Um, but if you look at some of the other players, I know it's rumored we would have taken Shinyashiki, who ended up winning um, Rookie of the Year last year. Uh, some of the other players later in the draft, you look at Chase Gasper from uh, MNUFC, uh, JJ Williams, who has been an effective player for Columbus, a first-team player. Um, uh, let's see, we brought in Kamal Miller that year. Hassani Dotson came in that year. I'm just kind of scrolling through everything here. So, so there's, there were some. Shazan Buchanan. Yeah, there, there are some. Uh, yeah, there are definitely some good first team player names in this draft. And I know you're not going to hit every single time, but the way we forced that draft pick and we used him for our third overall draft pick when we had almost every college player at our disposal. To me, that was a big, big mistake. And and you kind of see now as we're loaning him out to a second division team in the um, in uh, South America or Mexico or Central America. Azerbaijan or somewhere. So, somewhere random. Yeah, yeah he, Mexico, second division. He's second not division, even, Mexico. He got released, didn't he? Yeah, um, I believe so, yeah. Yeah. That was a big mistake. We could have, we could have used a different player. Um, so that's that's the name that I'm thinking of. Uh, Daniel Chase Adam. Any other big names for brought in or, or leaving that you would say was a bad idea? 
uh, I mean Richie, right? Richie Larea. Yep. Yeah. Must that's be that timeline mixed up, but I, I think that's pretty much. I don't know. Not to be naive, but I think it's it. Really, I, th- I think for the most part, he's made a lot of very good moves and mm-hmm. that that are very financially savvy. Like if you look at like Mauricio Pereira, like he was a free, and he wasn't even really making a lot of money, and he is like the best player on our team. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I just I just feel like um, I just I was just giving myself like a mo- a minute silence because of that list. I needed a moment to yeah. consider what you had read. Because mm-hmm. I forgot most of those players. Yep. Um, my my, you know my my point I would make on this kind of ties back to the the academy point. But um, a lot of other teams have kept their academies running, even through COVID, and it's not been an excuse. So I wouldn't think that would be an excuse in Orlando, though it might be cited as it. Who knows? But when you think of the some of the squad players we've had that you know just to fill numbers and I really hate filling numbers I've talked about that before I hate having players around just for the hell of it but um five goalkeepers and then you've got players like Dylan Powers and such who you know with all the greatest respect to them you know they they didn't play enough minutes to to justify them being there or to have the salary you know it's like Dylan Powers was he was the um he was the Alex Tejon type, you know? The Robinho. The Robinho, he'd be there just to, you know, kind of be at training and to push the other players. But it's like, first of all, you can't effectively coach a squad of 30 players. I don't think. I don't think you can keep them all happy. I don't think you can, you know, especially all senior players, you can't keep them all happy. You, you know, you, you're diluting the quality of your training, I feel like, by having too many of them around. And secondly, when you think of what some of those guys were getting paid, I mean, Powers was on like the low 200s, I think, like 220 or so, 230. I mean, had we had some kind of pipeline from the academy coming through or some good sort of attitude towards youth recruitment, we could have had two players in the, you know, from the academy on the roster training with the team, uh, you know, as and when needed to, being involved with the first team squad every now and then, but playing for the B team as well and then that way what you're doing is you keep, you're keeping yourself with covering your squad but you've got guys that can get games regularly and they're developing and I feel like we just completely went backwards with the whole attitude towards that and kept this big senior squad you, you bring in these players for like the Open Cup and not played a game for three months and then you end up losing at home to was it FC Miami or somebody in 2018 it was Miami it was Miami right so mm-hmm. You know, and of course, the one player that did do something was Giles Barnes, who didn't do anything much in the MLS. You know, um, but it's just like I don't know. Like I feel like the whole attitude towards you know youth recruitment and development's just been been very negligent, to be honest. And there's a very missed opportunity. I, I think you should keep a squad of like maybe 20, 22 good senior players, and then fill up the rest of the spaces with the youth players and let them train with the first team, but let them play with the B team. And that's that's what you should use the B team for. And I, and I remember some people defending that B team to the hilt two years ago, saying, oh, no senior players will be allowed there and, you know, and everything else. The team went on and lost pretty much every game that season because there's no experienced players playing there and those, those poor kids were just getting, like, beaten every week and, of course, most of them got released. So what was the whole point of it? You know, I don't know. Just, just mismanaged, mm-hmm. if you ask me. Yeah, terribly. Yeah. Um, 
any moves you want to highly praise? I mean, when you look at when you look at everything, and when you look back on the season we just had, it's hard to disagree with any of the moves. Alonso Letting Asquez go. Hmm? Yeah, yeah, players like Asquez and such. I mean, letting those types of players go, bringing yeah. in. Um, replacements that's the word I'm thinking of bringing in solid replacements like everything just went correctly everything was the right decision at the right time financially correct Rodrigo Schlegel I mean financial wise Antonio Carlos 1.7 1.8 million uh, some people would say you shouldn't bring that pay that amount of money on a center back I 100% agree we should have bought him he's one of our best center backs in our history um, and he's our best center back at the club Defenders win trophies. You know, attackers will win your games, but defenders will win your trophies. Um, you know, I've never understood the attitude as to why you shouldn't invest in a centre back. Um, I mean, I should say I'm surprised, but I'm not really. But there's never. I don't think there's been very many DP centre backs in the MLS. Yes. And he's not. But, he's not a DP though. He's still Tam on, under the DP rules. No, I know. That's what I'm okay. saying. Like, okay. it'd be nice to. I know there, there isn't one now. What I'm trying to say is that. It just shocks me that there hasn't been one, like a high-profile one. Like, um, you're going off to Europe somewhere and bringing in, like, a 30, 31-year-old on a DP level, you know, and, and having them as your team, as your, as your captain, as your leader. I guess that doesn't get people in the seats to watch the games. And yeah, that's kind of where, that's it where the lines... It wins trophies. It wins a lot of trophies. I'll take a team that can defend, because if Orlando could defend, they probably would have won. They probably would have won the conference this season. But they couldn't defend as well as they needed to. And, you know, was it three clean sheets, I think? You know, all season. So, and you know, Trejo was notably unhappy with that. I, I would be, because you think about it. You, when you play a, a team like Orlando does, you play the press and you run your bollocks off. And you work hard and you, you do the hard bit, you get the goals and get ahead, and then you lose a boneheaded goal at the back again week to week, game to game. That has to be frustrating, and it's frustrating for the players ahead of you as well. You know, I mean, I would not be upset if, if one of our DP slots was taken by a defender in the off-season. Quite honest with you. I would be quite happy with it. We, we have an open one. We have two, I, I think. I think. No, no, we, um, Pereira and Nani are both on DP slots. Oh, Pereira's definitely got it, has he? Yeah, yeah. His mm. new contract. His new contract said DP, and they did not put the the little Tam part in there that they put in last okay. time, and that That's they put in with um, because when Antonio Carlos signed, they said he's a, I think they said he's a DP level salaried player that they're using mm. Tam to buy down. Uh, when uh, they put the press release that he was being brought in on loan. Fair enough. I wasn't sure if I didn't know that about Pereira yet. You see, I I kind of had in my mind it was still the Tam player. But, um, but he's actually been enough. DP this whole time because Coleman's been on loan. The mm-hmm. plan was if they were going to have to take Coleman back, then they would buy him down. There's a clause in his contract that could, they could buy him down to Tam. Speaking nice. of Coleman, we can say we can talk about this now. Do you guys think we're going to bring him back? Kind of like what like we did to. with Yuri, because I the club specifically so. said goodbye on the socials to Dijon and to. Robinho. I saw nothing about Santiago and nothing about Josue. I know those were our two players on loan, but 
Maybe it's I just think... conspiracy theorists to me, but I would like them to do a to pull Yuri Rossell and re-sign him to a restructured contract that is not a DP level contract and have him as that attacking mid backup just to see what we have in a player well, and see how Oscar can use him. I don't know if he would take that though because recently it came out that like Seto Platino tried to give him, you know, a contract and it wasn't enough money for him, so he kind of seems like maybe a player that would put finances first which is like you know good for him but i think that we're gonna have to pay him a little bit more than he might be worth but he is an attacking midfielder and we really only have one of them so i don't know it's just it, it might be a little too much money for me though it it seems like a situation where it's just best for all parties to move on yeah and just clean slate let him try again somewhere else i i would I would be less surprised to see them try to bring back Santi Patino or something on on a cheaper deal. I don't know how much he was making, but probably not that much. But I would be I would be less surprised to see Santi Patino come back than Jose Coman. Mm, I don't think Coman will come back, but I'd like him to. I, I just think in a system where you know you pass the ball and you try to play play the game, I think he'd thrive, quite honestly. I think he'd do very well under the current coach and he could play in that system. I feel like he could play off the right hand side. He could play as a 10 or he could play as an 8. And I don't think he'd have any problems, but I don't think he's going to come back. I'd like for him to, but I just don't think he will. So here's something important to note that Muzi has no loyalty to Jose Coman because he was here before Muzi got here. I know we don't really subscribe under Muzi to a coach's guys, but Muzi definitely will have his guys. Mm-hmm. And like Tesho Iconelli is one of Muzi's guys, even though he was technically here before Muzi got here, it was kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We know who's coming in. Let's get Tesho. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think because Muzi has no loyalty to Coman, he has no incentive to bring him back on, on anything other than he does his independent scouting with his department. And because he basically hasn't played for a Muzi team and, uh, and they can get him on the super cheap deal. And he said, you know what? There's no risk here. He's familiar with Orlando. It's a good move. But it would have to be, it wouldn't be just because, oh, he's been here. Let's bring him back. That's that's not a thought process that is going to happen in his head. No, All right. that's what I'm saying. That's why I don't think he's coming back. I think that the decision is probably being made. But if you're asking, if we're discussing this based on what we think of him as a player, then I think he's good enough to play. All right, well, I think that just about does it in terms of part one of the squad building series. Part two will be coming out. Um, we haven't planned it yet, but it'll probably be next week. Um, we just talked about how we got here, what were the right things to get us here, and um, what um, all that, all that basically. And for part two, we're just going to be talking about what we need to do next, what players we should be looking to move on um, that we haven't already moved on from. Obviously, Dwyer was the right move in all of our opinions um, and all the other players who moved on and all the other players who stayed. I think I can speak for all of us saying right now, with what we know, we believe those were the right decisions. Part two will be about what's coming next. This transfer window, which is a very, very, very important transfer window for us, and the next transfer window after next season. So that will be all in part two. Um, but that this is it for part one. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. Do the survey linked in the description. 
Uh, let us know what you agreed with, what you disagreed with. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter. And Daniel, where can our listeners reach you at? Uh, Bucketman, 1982. Chase? Uh, Vamos OCSC. And Adam? Find me at Kosher Taco Truck. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the conversation. Um, thank you for everybody to listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Chance!